Hello, Jonesers. I know this week you were expecting our Halloween 2020 franchise review, but I mistimed this. No worries. We have another episode recorded, and it's Stephen King's The Nightflyer from HBO. I hope you enjoy it, and come back next week for our 2020 Halloween franchise review. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. We just threw a dart at the board and we got Stephen King's The Night Flyer. One, zero, one, Bravo, Lima. Come in, over. I can't have you sitting in the middle of my runway. Respond. Over. You've always wanted to know what hell was like. Now you will know. Yes. 1997, a movie that premiered on HBO... Uh, then subsequently went direct to video afterwards. Uh, just during the Stephen King cycle of like all the TV movies, uh, right after kind of all his big theatrical movies, the 90s were a big time for Stephen King movies in general, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, 80s and 90s, honestly. It's whatever you could get your hands on. Because I remember the 80s, you know, we had, oh, we had so many. But I guess 90s, yeah, you had a lot. It, they're all over. Yeah. And I mean, like a lot of like the horror genre until Scream was Stephen King adaptations. And this is, you know, fresh after Scream. So this is this is part of that cycle of all these wonderful Stephen King movies that we were getting that were mostly all good, too, at this time. Well, his TV series are questionable. I mean, you had The Stand, which I know a lot of people like, but you had the Landeliers, Landeliers, whatever. Yeah, called. That, that, that people aren't crazy about that one. No. Well, if you ever watch it, you understand why. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, he had so many. Some are good. Some are dog shit. Some are great. You know, his he's got so many that they're kind of just all over the, the place, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is, especially when you're taking a short story like this one and stretching it to a two hour film. Right, which uh, happened a lot because a lot of his short stories had been auctioned and everything like that. This is nothing new. But uh, yeah, it is. It, it gives the filmmaker some license because they do have to expand upon something that's probably like 10 pages long and make it into at least a 90 page script. So uh, it gives the filmmaker some wiggle room to play uh, within like the King's sandbox, which is probably very fun to do. Uh, again, with mixed results, uh, the movies end up being mm-hmm. but like uh it, it's a this is a tried and true uh stephen king i say in a lot of ways it has a lot of the themes that are in all the stephen king works i think well we're in maine so there's one <laughs> uh, and i think i saw a sign for dairy also in this so yeah the flyer comes from dairy so he's a the 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 
Nightflyer is a dairy resident. Yeah, I mean, we like Graveyard Shift, and that was based off a short story that they stretched. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Maybe at the end of this we'll like it. You know, you'll have to listen and find out. But uh, I can tell you if we're going to rent this, this VHS cover would attract me. Yeah, we've got a monster on the cover of this one, right? The vampire. The the vampire's name is, you know, uh, Renfield, which they say like, I don't know, 80 times in this fucking movie. Yeah, obviously a reference to Dracula. Uh, so that's why that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was his first name? It was uh, something Renfield. Lift for Clive or something like that. Dwight, you see, you saw the path I was on with that, right? <laughs> Cliff or Glive, I was almost there. It was one letter off. <laughs> some guy, some white guy's name at the bar that you always see. You're like, hey, Dwight. Yeah. So, or you work with him, like Dwight from The Office. Exactly. <laughs> I was, I was, I was scratching the surface. I was almost there. Yeah, Dwight Renfield, our vampire here. Yeah. So, I mean, looking at the cover here, it's it's a shiny kind of metallic cover so it's definitely stood out at a rental store i I just don't know if it would i definitely never rented it so with my history i had never seen this oh nice uh so i take it you had seen it a few times yeah i had seen this one i I saw it when it first dropped on uh, hbo my family always made it a thing when there was a new stephen king like tv movie or whatever we all got together and watched it uh after dinner or whatever uh, so this was one of them. And so when it dropped on HBO, we all watched it. And I'd seen it a couple times since just because I like Stephen King movies. So we've got a quote at the top. Startling nonstop horror dot 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 from Fort Worth Star Telegram. No name. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King's The Night Flyer. Night Flyer's in a pretty cool, like noisy red font. Nice horror font. <laughs> yeah, I, I did notice the is, you know, all lowercase. Well, night flyer you know is more traditional uppercase n uppercase f just thought that was interesting but on the top we have some lightning and a full moon and then we get the actual night flyer dwight renfield on the cover which is very interesting to me that kind of screams a little like please rent us a little desperate but i also get it because i don't think miguel um frerer the star in this film is bankable at all when it comes to his name no one knows his name they only know him as hey that's the dude in uh, robocop that gets his leg shot right yeah miguel ferrer has like made a career of being like a uh character actor and he i think he's a fucking great character actor by the way like and so seeing him top line a movie is is honestly great but yeah he's not gonna sell Mm-mm. your movie your monster's gonna yeah, sell your, your, your monster has to sell it so that's why i'm saying like they have to go down this path because it's kind of in in a way it's a straight to vhs movie yeah but by going straight to hbo i feel like you get a little bit more clout because h it's hbo it's Mm -hmm. not you know it's not tv it's hbo uh but uh so i feel like it's a bump above direct to video but basically it's the same thing it's not coming to theaters so Mm -hmm. so we get uh down below the title we have the plane going down and landing on a runway it's definitely that straight on perspective Mm mm-hmm and the shadow of the plane is a bat. Excellent. So that's uh, that's fun cheese. I like that. And uh, we have a little um, line down here. It says, evil has a flight plan. Very fun. Cute. <laughs> very, very fun. So we flip over to the back and we see that it's 97 minutes. So right there, I was excited. Hell yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> Stephen King's The Night Flyer. The best 
King Adaptation Since Misery from Fangoria. Well, maybe. I don't know what was between this and Misery, <laughs> so maybe they're right. <laughs> uh, we got the description here. From Stephen King, the master of horror, on page and screen comes a new tale of relentless terror of a modern-day vampire who flies by night and lands too close to home for comfort. For Richard Dees, who is Miguel Ferrer, facts are always stranger than fiction. Every headline is a deadline. Serial killers, UFO abductions, tales of molestation, mayhem, and murder. To some, the tales are unbelievable, but his faithful readers believe. And now there's a new story, The Night Flyer. What is it that flies by night in a dark-wing Cessna, lands at secluded airports, and brutally murders local residents? Dees begins to follow the unknown killer in a Cessna of his own, uncovering clues that reveal a pilot more terrifying than he could ever have imagined, a creature so untamed by human nature that their final confrontation will leave nobody unbloodied. Yeah, they really drain the bodies in this. <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's a funky vampire, that's what I'll say. Yeah. A big role for Miguel Ferrer, a fine and distinctive actor, the Los Angeles Times. And we have another quote underneath a production still of the vampire zombies that show up in this movie. I don't know what to call them. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. A creepy yeah. vampire tale, says Variety. Nice. So we also got a, another production still. Well, it's not a production still. We got a screenshot of Miguel Fur looking on with the vampire in the background blurred out, which is funny to me because they put the vampire on the front. <laughs> and then we have the other reporter, and I don't even know. Uh, was it Catherine? Is that her name? He was calling her Jimmy all the time. Yes, but her name is Catherine. Catherine is okay in this. I don't have a problem with the actress it's the characters kind of i feel like the character's just there for for richard to just shit on but she does play a pretty big role at the end right so i feel like the ending justifies it a little bit for me like these you know young reporter type stories where one's like following the the big reporter right teacher student type thing even though this teacher is a complete asshole Yes, he's the worst. <laughs> yeah, and Miguel does a good job of playing an asshole. Yeah, he's amazing as Richard Dees here because he is the most hateable person. He's the fucking worst. We have no trailers on this, so if you take this tape home, pop it straight in, you get your feature presentation. And now, our feature presentation. And we start with tabloid reporter coming into his office, finding out that his dead baby picture has been pulled which is really weird to say <laughs> <laughs> but i get you know it's one of these shitty tabloids you've seen them when you're checking out at a grocery store i don't know if they still exist i'm sure they do but they're probably mostly on the internet now you know where it has conspiracy theories and bat boy and all this shit well, the weekly world news is running the country right now so who knows yeah <laughs> well at least social media makes us think so true because <laughs> one person who believes a conspiracy theory will share like 100 memes of it. Right. Until it's fact. <laughs> but you know who's buying these. It's it's grandmas that have, you know, they've ran out of books to read from the library. It's all this stuff. And they actually have uh, a like rule grandma like 
who buys this stuff and believes it. The the one great character at the airport explains it. What paper do you say you're from? Inside view. You know it? <laughs> oh yeah. My wife Martha reads your paper. Uh-huh. After she's done with it, I use it to line our kitty's toilet box. Soaks up that cat piss real good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so before the days of social media, they were checkout stands, uh, <laughs> tabloid rags, and yeah, they were super popular at the time. Um, yeah, this uh, the grandma character that you just mentioned is amazing in this movie. Like, uh, you're talking about the one that gets like taken by him, right? Yeah, I just I just call her a weird grandma. Yeah, who's like before she gets uh, bit by him, she's like enamored by him and like follows him around and stuff like that. Very Stephen Kingy, feels very of the the king repertoire here this character and i think she's great in this yeah there's a couple characters in this that i really liked uh, that's pretty much my notes is highlighting them you know we see that the new reporter gets hired uh jimmy and uh we get the old grizzled reporter here getting a story that he doesn't want he turns it down then he gets it he's just like oh they've got the the plain serial number. This guy's not getting away with it. Would you use the same car to rob several banks? And I was like, yeah, okay. I get the setup. I already know what we're doing. Yeah, he doesn't want to take it because it's like this vampire thing. Uh, he passes it off to the new girl, uh, Catherine Blair. Takes it back from her when he sees the bloodshed because he's super into blood. And yeah, the dead baby thing is like the picture he was trying to get published. And he's, you know, he's just, he's an asshole and he likes printing like shock stuff. So he's interested in it once he sees kind of the bloodletting that is uh, surrounding the vampire case. Yeah, and he's good at shocking people with pictures, too. Yes. Man, he is really cavalier with his camera throughout this movie. He's just he's taking pictures of everything here. Dead bodies, gore on the scene. He's 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 pretty brazen. Well, yeah, I was actually saying how he's carrying it. I'm like, dude. That's your like lifehood. You got to carry that camera a little bit better than that. He's just <laughs> slinging it all over the place. But also, yes, he's crazy with his photos. I mean, that's what he does. He doesn't seem to set anything up uh, when it comes to like getting a good angle. It's just uh, put some blood on it, you know, kick over a tombstone, that kind of shit, which I get it. I know what he's selling. We all know what he's doing. You know, he's basically just the scummiest version of i don't know what they were called but the people who did like the whole hulk hogan where they got his camera and everything it was a dead spin oh uh, fuck what was it as you can tell i i don't check into any yeah i for, i forget the publication that did that to him yeah i don't think they exist anymore oh yeah i think they sued the shit out of him <laughs> yeah now i think they're trying to come back to something else but whatever sidebar over we get a great i do really like the setup of him being an asshole in the bar where he is really chewing scenery never believe what you publish and never publish what you believe doesn't matter i talk too fast well i guess i was just expecting something more from someone who who thinks of himself as a, as a what well a real reporter huh. Huh. Mm. let me ask you a question what the fuck do you think you know about being a real reporter huh god damn it i'm, so, I'm sorry i didn't mean to offend you why don't we start over why i already know your story honey i heard it a million times 
You come from Lockport or Rockport or Bridgeport or Eugene, Oregon or some goddamn place. You tried to get into Columbia or Yale. You ended up at Illinois State, didn't you? And you interned for the examiner, the, the, the Patriot. What? Help me here, please. The Herald. Herald, exactly. That's right. You covered everything from cake sales to dog shows to class reunions, but they got a little mundane for you, didn't it? She came to us for just a little more spice. This is yeah. He Miguel Ferrer gets to play a lot in this movie, and in in being the worst, and he's so good at being the worst, which we know from having seen RoboCop. He's so good at it. It's so watchable. Like I hate this guy, but I want to keep watching more. Well, throughout this film, I kept I watched this in one go, which is for a film like this kind of a surprise because it's mostly talking in rooms and flashback the movie. Mm-hmm. Way too many. I get what they're doing. You know, the reporter is talking to all these witnesses and then they're putting together their account. Like, I get why there's all these flashbacks. But after a while, I was like, oh, Jesus, come on. Like, I, I get why this film didn't do well. Yeah, uh, that's the uh, it, it picks a distinct narrative structure and it withholds the vampire for a long time, which I feel like drives people nuts. It worked for me. But it isn't going to work for everybody, I understand. Like, yeah, it's, it definitely has its own distinct narrative structure, which may have come somewhat from the short story. Maybe I never read the short story, but maybe the short story is like people's accounts of this vampire. I don't know. Uh, maybe they didn't have enough money to constantly be putting this makeup on an actor. And <laughs> that too. <laughs> so we don't know. Uh, that's what I assume it is. So the the bar scene sets a scene of how much of an or he it sets kind of the tone and mood of the movie uh, of how he's an asshole and this is this is a scummy business and it will swallow you uh and it even sets up that like the last new reporter named Dottie dies and then he goes over to her apartment when she's i guess murdered or she committed suicide i have no idea what Dottie did she's dead that's all i know yeah i wonder if she committed suicide because she didn't like working with d's also or was it because she found stuff about the vampire I don't know. Maybe I couldn't figure out if she got too close right. to a case and then they killed her. Because he said, you know, you get, you know, you start to believe in these cases and they and they will destroy you. Yeah. Okay. Is it, was it self-destruction or? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you could tell that Miguel Ferrer is kind of going down that path because as he's getting into this investigation for the vampire, you can kind of see the cracks in him. He goes from kind of like this Howard Stern like shock reporter kind of uh you know walking around like he's got a big dick kind of guy and then like he kind of becomes like really broken by the end of the movie because you know i think this this uncovering the stuff about the vampire is revealing more stuff about how shitty of a person he is (laughs) even the way that he just talks to his boss which blows my mind i do have a uh, note of oh she just walks into her boss's office rips up the plane ticket and throws in the air i was like yeah that's not happening (laughs) yeah are you gonna refund that plane ticket or what (laughs) the old woman that gets murdered at the uh airstrip these like little bitty airstrips for what they say basically is drug runners use these Mm -hmm. so yeah we have quite a bit of these in missouri too like little independent airstrips nice interesting be careful of the night flyer next time you go back. <laughs> yeah. I guess these places just make money because, you know, these people land down here and go to the restaurants and have to get fuel. And, and so it's interesting. And they always are in the middle of these gigantic fields. Like uh, you see like farms around them. Mm-hmm. 
So when they showed that in this, I was like, yeah, that's someone really did their research on this. That's exactly what they look like. I like the I like the line near the beginning when the one guy that's working at one is just like only the weirdos fly at night. <laughs> yep. Oh, that entire thing where he interviews that dude. I was like, yeah, my wife, she gets uh, gets your insider and then I use it to line my kitty's uh litter box really yeah. soaks up the piss <laughs> fucking love that guy i could yeah that's where i was like watching this movie at night when i watched it. i think it was last weekend you know this movie's a little bit boring because it takes so long to get to the vampire but these character actors and miguel Ferrer kind of just like kept me interested just enough yeah i think it is the character work that like hooks you you know into the the peeling the layers then off the story before we get to the kind of final I don't want to say final reveal of the vampire because we kind of get him for like the last like 15 ish minutes of the movie. Uh, It's not just like the very end or anything. Yeah, it builds up to that in a way that I think, yeah, some people might check out and think it's slow. But I think the character actors and the character work in the script is enough to kind of keep me at least and you obviously hooked enough to finish it to see it through or whatever. Yeah, and you you get some really interesting quotes in this. And one of the ones that I was like, I don't know how I'm going to like mix this into my everyday language. But when he goes, his cape outside was black as a woodchuck's asshole. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What Uh, the fuck did you just say? Main townies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of that, he just keeps going to all of them. He goes to these cops and he bribes the cops. He bribes the morticians to get pictures of these people who died. And, you know, we get these... They're not scummy. I don't know, just like some of them are odd and quirky. Some of them are just like, oh, wow, you're giving me 200 hours to see a dead body? Sure, whatever. I mean, that's so easy to trace back. But I guess they just didn't care at this time period. <laughs> yeah, and I think it is just that like kind of like towny kind of mentality a little bit too. They're not like the worst people or anything. They're just like whatever. If they're gonna give me money, I'll tell you my story. Yeah. The boss sets up that he puts the new reporter Jimmy back on the case, and then she goes to the town. They stay in the same hotel, and this piss offs Miguel. Yeah. He at the same time starts working with her. Right, they start to bond, they start to share information. She's got a little more information than he does. Uh, she kind of puts herself back on the case uh, and, and demands sort of the boss puts them together or whatever. Yeah, they start sharing information, they start working together, They start until he just abandons her and just leaves her at the hotel. <laughs> oh, yeah, he like puts a cover over her head, shoves her in the closet and locks her in a closet and then takes off once they find out that the vampire, the night flyer, is at Wilmington? I yeah, think. they find like the the plane there. Yeah, and so he locks her in the closet, which I thought was a, a bit much. He could have just took off because he's, you know, drove to his plane, got in the plane and left. Yeah, but he's an asshole, so. <laughs> and he's very insecure. <laughs> yeah, he smokes a lot. Yeah, and that too, which is probably why he has that great fucking voice. <laughs> he's got marlboro reds carrying around everywhere but he also starts to freak out because he starts to see the night flyer everywhere yeah you know once he takes some pictures of the, like the uh the inside of the plane and that's where i was, was talking about like the the blood and then finds like the the different bodies or whatever yeah then like the vampire comes after him starts sending the messages like stop your investigation and like stop looking at this stuff then he starts to like 
face to face show up to him. And this is around the first couple times we start seeing glimpses of the vampire here. Yeah, and he's always in that giant cape. Yes, <laughs> he's never. I love the. It's. I think it's also earlier on. Uh, I think it's like really early on in the movie when you just see him like walking, and it's a kind of a far away shot. And you kind mm. of realize like how silly he looks in the cape. <laughs> like, but like he just owns it. He just walk. He walks around in his cape all all night. <laughs> yeah, when the mechanic sees him for the first time, and he's like far away, just walking towards the trailer. Yeah, he's so goofy. He looks like a, a dude in a Halloween costume. Yeah, but in a like the in his like weird confidence in this cape or whatever, it almost does make it creepy. It like reminds me of that scene in Signs with the with the videotape of uh, the alien that the Joaquin Phoenix freaks out about, where it's like kind of funny because it's kind of goofy looking, but also mm-hmm. kind of terrifying because it's so like cavalier, like it's so just confident. <laughs> yes, that uh, yeah, Signs. I remember that exact scene where I'm like, this is goofy. It, it went one of two ways. People either thought it was terrifying because it was very realish looking, mm-hmm. you know, like it looked like it was off a camcorder or whatever. And then there was kind of my view where I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, all right, I get it, I get where we're going. <laughs> I, I I'm so up and down on signs. Like there's some of it I liked, and there's some of it I just I really didn't care for. I I re- that's one I really like. Yeah, I, really I think like we've had movie. this conversation. It's funny. <laughs> Uh, back into this so yeah so he he ends up going to wilmington you know going through all this stuff he's gonna get this story he's become personally invested in it i don't know why he's addicted to it i think he wants to get this story and i think you know as he's kind of breaking down as a person he's just gotta like see this through at this point yeah basically we're an hour and 10 minutes into this and we finally see renfield which has got a gnarly vampire face. To me, like in terms of just like iconic horror scenes, the scene when he stretches out the mouth. I mean, I've seen the gif a million times. Like it, it's probably the most famous shot from this movie. To me, that's so cool. Like I love that look of him. Like the regular look, like which is what we see on the cover, is cool. It kind of looks kind of reptilian and alien, but also vampire-y. But when he does like the mouth stretch thing, which was such a thing of the 90s, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> when he does that, uh, it looks so cool. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the Dust Till Dawn vampire look. A little. A little, yeah, for sure. The flat nose, the big mouth, absolutely. Yeah, and I don't know where that came from, because I knew vampires used to look hideous, and then they became much more like European very attractive with dracula and that lasted through the golden age i don't know when we went back to the ugly vampires during the i don't know if they ever did it in the 60s or 70s but definitely the 90s came back with the ugly vampires yeah i think fright night probably kicked in the door for that oh good point the late 80s yeah yeah i think that was the one that was like okay we're gonna make them gnarly (laughs) so i'm wondering if there was a revisit of it after the golden age yeah, the 80s kind of used the 50s quite a bit as a uh, a reference point. So I wonder sure. if someone in the 50s started to make them ugly again. Like, Because I think Hammer, they all did like, they seemed pretty good looking. Maybe some of them though in that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere along the way, they, yeah, they became sort of this and like, like like you're saying this is this has got to be like the most like 90s version of this too mm-hmm. stretchy mouth the yeah from dust till dawn kind of flat nose big mouth look kind of reptilian alienish a little bit too uh yeah this is uh 
very of the time very mm-hmm. 1997 <laughs> there's a couple like horror genres or horror creatures i never got into i'm not much of a haunted house person i'm not much of a possession person i'm not much of a vampire person it's just never been something i've gotten into i don't know how about you i like like the monster vampires because i'm such a monster person like i like like this kind uh i and i and i do i have such a respect and admiration for like the universal and the hammer mm-hmm draculas so i think i do i think i like i i would say i'm i'm not they're not my tops but no i like them i like vampires i'm just saying like i I never got in to any of the vampires i would really like to revisit the horror or the the hammer vampires throughout the years of the 70s because i just vampires to me like when i was a kid they, they had been done so much that I had gotten to the point until Dust Till Dawn where I was like, I don't really think there's anything to tell anymore. It was kind of like 2005 or 2010 where we got to the point where I was like, zombies are done because what is left to tell? Right. That's how I felt. I agree with that. I feel like, yeah, by like the mid 90s, early 90s, there was no more vampire stories left to tell. And you just like right now, there's no more zombie stories left to tell uh, until somebody reinvents the genre mm-hmm. uh, wonderfully i'm sure in the next few years uh but uh yeah no i agree vampires in the early 90s and late 80s just like after kind of fright night what was there you know but i will say the last 15 minutes of this movie really pick up because when he gets in to wilmington after checking out the night flyers plane and finding out that dwight renfield was a person at one point he's got a picture's He's got pictures of his wife from those wedding and they're like a little bit of his life. It's it's pretty good. We find dirt in the back of the plane. I don't think they ever explain because at one point the mechanic said, one thing I found weird was there was a bunch of dirt below the plane like something had died. <laughs> I fucking love that main accent. <laughs> I think he's like, li- I think his, it's his coffin. I think he's living in it. And don't vampires have to have the dirt of their homeland with them? That's probably what it is. Well, I mean, the plane has curtains on over the windows. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's his coffin. I just don't understand why the dirt's being poured out each time he lands. I'm assuming that's something in the book that they just kind of didn't put in this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, my, my assumption is just it's like dirt from his burial area falling out that he takes out with him every time he goes. I don't know. I guarantee if we read the short story, we'd know. But that would require reading, and that's never going to happen. Learning stupid. Yeah, that's for those learned folks. <laughs> so, and I, I bet this, I bet the short story is like 80 pages. We could do it really quick, but <laughs> I, I probably own it. It's probably in a collection, yeah. It's probably in one of those Stephen King collections. So maybe I'll get really bored <laughs> and read The Night Flyer. I don't know. Maybe it's good. I don't know. They made a movie after it, but that doesn't really matter. They were making movies after anything Stephen King did. <laughs> what do you got? I got 12 pages. Making a movie. <laughs> oh, production houses. I love you. <laughs> so, yeah, we get to the end of this and we have a bunch of dead people inside of the waiting room of the not the waiting room <laughs> inside, you know, where everyone waits to get on their plane. Right. <laughs> and they're fucked up and it's awesome. I, I will admit this is. The movie really picks up here. The third act, fun. Uh, we get weird, I don't even know what they are. They're zombie vampires? Yeah, I'm assuming they're like what comes back after he bites them. You know, so his turned vampires, but they're all fucked up. They're not like 
pretty vampires. They don't look like him either. Yeah, they're kind of just like their dead bodies resurrected. So you were right in probably saying like a cross between like a zombie and a vampire. Yeah, because they're not like really going after him to drink his blood, I don't think. They're just attacking him. Yeah, but they're not even really attacking him. They're just walking towards him. <laughs> you assume they're attacking him, but he's chopping them down with that axe. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so we get to finally see Renfield in the bathroom, which you talked about in the gift. Uh, the gif, where yeah. the vampire comes up with a stretched mouth. I, it's so weird to see it with two giant teeth at the bottom and the top. I've been watching your D's. I've been watching you very closely. Yes. I know you, you see. I know all about you. I trust you now understand that you can never write of what you know. Can never reveal what you have seen. Open your camera now. You're real. <laughs> so are you, for now at least. This is your last chance, my would-be biographer. Open your camera, or I'll do it. Yeah, because those are what is what are the puncture marks mm -hmm. in the victims. They have these like huge, like tusk-like bites. Instead of like the two little bites on the neck, it's like opposite sides of their neck, and they're like holes. So he has these like yeah mandibles that he's biting these people with. Yeah, I, I've never seen a design of a vampire like that. I, I get it. I think it's actually kind of really interesting. And I kind of see why someone would love to put together the makeup for this and do this monster. Uh, I just don't think general audiences uh, kind of are going to respond to this the way that maybe you did when watching it. Because <laughs> it's just it takes too long to get to the monster. And then the monster's like, oh, it's cool looking. But I don't really care about Renfield. <laughs> that's my biggest problem with this is like i don't care about the bad guy i love the visuals at the end yeah it's the storm and like the, the grayish bluish like color scheme that was all the rage at this time it looks good this whole end sequence it looks no, it really does. good uh yeah where they set it up where it's kind of hellish uh you see the tilt of the camera i was like oh matt's gonna love that <laughs> feels very tales from the crypty yeah. at the end here uh this whole movie feels like a this should have been a 45 minute tales from the crypt oh it does it something about it being on hbo and the way it's filmed and stuff like that it does feel like a long episode of tales from the crypt in the in a, in a wonderful way <laughs> i think it would have been a lot better if you would have shortened it down to about 40 45 minutes 47 whatever it would have taken to get to a part one, part two of A Tales from the Crypt. I would have loved to have seen that. It would have been perfect because then the entire second part of The Tales from the Crypt, it just would have been vampire madness. Yeah, exactly. And it probably would have been like a legendary episode. You know, Stephen King, Tales from the Crypt. They should have went that way with it. <laughs> so this movie ends and we get the new reporter adopting the motto of the current reporter because the D's goes crazy killing all these uh, zombie vampires in his mind, but then it cuts to the reality and he's just chopping up a bunch of dead bodies with an ax. Right. These bodies are dead in the airport and already because of the night flyer or whatever. And because he's going crazy, he's just chopping 
dead body parts and mm-hmm. it's still it's still gory as hell but like to the police officers that walk in uh they think that he is just chopping these people up so yeah. of course they blow him away yeah he like runs at the new reporter with the axe which was weird to me he's like you <laughs> starts running at her and they just blow him away and then they turn around they're like who are you i don't even know i don't remember what she even answers but basically she's just like i'm a reporter <laughs> She starts taking pictures and she becomes the new D's. Yep. She has the gory photo of him as the killer. She says his thing, whatever he says in it. Uh, and then uh, and then she is the new and she's all cocky and she loves it. Mm-hmm. She's like thrilled by it. Yeah, this. she's addicted. Which is the most kind of Tales from the Crypt kind of ending you could have for this thing. <laughs> That's why before I did research on this movie, I was like, oh, this is clearly a Tales from the Crypt script that someone took combined it with the Stephen King short story and then turned it into a whole movie. And then from what I read, no, they just took a short story. These European investors were attracted to this and then they got Paramount to distribute it. And then Paramount, you know, said, no, we're not going to distribute it unless you do it by this date. They couldn't. So then they sold it to HBO and then they got, I think, think new line cinema to distribute it on video and that's why it's like shiny and kind of a good fun cover because new line got it this is what's interesting though new line distributed it with hbo but new line barely puts its name on it well i think it doesn't matter because it's all it's all owned by warner it's all warner home video it's all the same thing so like hbo new line it didn't matter what you know if the people from new line came in and helped release it they could still put the hbo thing on it and it's still like all the money's going to the same place <laughs> well it's just interesting because new line usually loved to put their name right their like, logo on everything <laughs> because even though warner bought up new line and everything like that new line was run by new line mm-hmm. warner bought them for a reason because they wanted to acquire it and they liked what they did. Well, and it, yeah, and it was a self-sustaining studio. They didn't need yeah. to go in and, you know. But like I said, all the money going to the same place in the end could be why they just stuck the HBO logo on it. Accurate, because, I, I mean, I didn't know this was New Line until right to the left at the bottom of the back of this VHS, I saw New Line Cinema, and I was like, what? <laughs> That's hilarious. It is on there, just a little bit. Just it's, a little bitty teeny, one. It's teeny, teeny, but it's on there. <laughs> they ended up distributing this into the theaters after it went to hbo which to me is just a giant waste of money and it ended up being a giant waste of money because they put it in like 42 theaters uh on the west coast and east coast i think they just kept it away from yeah because we didn't get it it never it never came here or anything so i was gonna say it must have had a pretty limited release yeah it was it was mostly on the east coast and then some in la and stuff like that and it it only made like one hundred twenty five thousand dollars it was a waste of money. Yeah, they didn't need to do that. No, they should have just stuck with the video. The video bit did bad too. It's because you already released it on HBO. Like sometimes HBO released movies that they bought or whatever will do good on video. So I understand why you did that. I just think this it this movie was had no excitement. There was no momentum. They were just forcing it into. Like maybe someone, maybe it will become a sleeper hit on VHS. It didn't know. But yet 
a company still came along, bought the rights to put it on DVD in the mid-2000s. And the movie has gone on to become somewhat of a cult movie. Screen Rant put out a top 10 of Stephen King's most underrated films, and that's what really came... It kind of like came back into the... I think that was in 2019? And it kind of came back into the like Stephen King pop culture and has become a very Stephen Kingy underrated hit. Yeah, I think it, I think with the new interest, uh, you know, the post it new interest in Stephen King that's happening right now, I think people are going back and trying to find some of the ones that were lesser talked about but are good. And this one is like definitely, yeah, found a little bit of an audience, kind of become like a cult uh, a favorite here. Even when it came out, too, I know, like, the reviews were kind of split. Like, there were plenty of bad reviews, but there were also plenty of, like, higher-up critics. Like, I, you mentioned Variety on the back of the box. There were plenty of, like, higher-up critics that mm-hmm. did like this movie. Like, so this one just kind of sat, I feel like, in the middle. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, people people liked it, people didn't like it. Uh, it did okay. You know, people watch it on HBO. It was on HBO all the fucking time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it found a little bit of an audience. And, yeah, I think that Screen Rant article you mentioned really helped in today's, you know, king-crazed realm right now that we're in. I think people are finding it again, and it's becoming even more of a cult thing. Yeah, like critics like Leonard Moulton, who didn't give it raving reviews, but he said it was creepy, and it had an atmosphere that matched King's writing. And I agree. I really do agree with that. This, uh, as much as I'm like, this movie's kind of boring and it's like the flashback Stephen King movie. But at the same time, I was captivated and watched the entire thing in one sitting. So I don't know how to classify this in my mind. I like the vampire look. I don't like Dwight Renfield. I like Miguel Freire. I needed another main person in this. And I don't think the other reporter had the gravitas to put up with his chewing of the scenery, which is really good. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's like, I think this is why this sits in the middle, because there's some good stuff in this. Good character actors. There's some boring time periods, and I think it needs to be shortened. But how much shorter do you go from 97 minutes? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, I mean, I for me, like, I I really I have a problem when it comes to like slow stuff, and this one did not bother me at all. So I feel like that's why I'm giving this such a pass. Like, I'm I'm so susceptible to like slow, boring movies where I just like fucking check out, and that didn't happen with this one for me. I think I was so enamored by Miguel Ferrer, and I knew I liked the vampire and stuff like that. I hadn't seen this. In years, I had seen it a bunch of times when it came out in the in, you know ninety seven and the early two thousands, but then I never I haven't seen it in a long time since. So it was really fun to sit down again, and I and I ended up really enjoying it again. Like I said, if if it's a slow movie and I stick with it, it must be pretty decent. Like because I I check out a slow real fast. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think people could watch this that kind of like the murder documentaries or these like cold case not cold case but you know what i mean like yeah the the murder mystery type things murder mystery crime drama i think those fans will be very interested in this they might kind of roll their eyes at the monster third act like actually it's the second half of the third act they may roll their eyes like now it's turned into a monster movie but that's when monster fans like especially me where i'm like well that's when i check in but again it was just good enough to keep me interested. I don't know. Mixed bag for me. Yeah, and I'm all in on it. I liked it. I think it's good. 
It did have a canceled sequel, and they wrote a script, but I guess they just found, they're like, well, it's a minor cult hit. It's probably not worth making, because that is a risk on minor cult hits. Yeah, but I find it interesting that the sequel was it was written by the original writer-director Mark Pavia, a Chicago guy, by the way. Shout out. I think um, he's from Elmhurst. Very nice. And and Stephen King himself wrote the script. with Pavia. I think they're good friends, the two of them. Uh, they did the script together for the second one. So I'd love to get my hands on the script. I would read it. And I'm sure maybe one day it could be changed just a little bit to come become something else. They could just reboot it. They could just call it, you know, the Night Flyer uh, in 2024 or whenever they would dig the script out and just do this new script. Why not? Yeah. Oh, no, I could definitely <laughs> see it. I mean, when it comes to Stephen King, anything's possible, <laughs> honestly. I mean... Look at all these movies. I can turn around in my VHS collection. I've got movies where I'm like, I never even watched it. I just own it because it had Stephen King on it and bought it. Yeah, I've got a few of those. I've got I've got the Langoliers and Golden Years over here. I've got to watch uh, because I've never seen them, but they've got Stephen King's name on them. So I'll be watching them. Yeah, I got a double tape of Storm of the Century. Never seen it. Oh, Storm of the Century is good. You're going to like that one. <laughs> it's solid. It's just like, I do like, oh man, when do I watch these? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they're also four hours long, so yeah. you have to figure out how you're going to divvy it up. All right, I think I'll end it with this tape, so we're going to go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle like Indy and we bring something back for our museum, the Stephen King wing. I think two years ago, over two years ago now, we did the Stephen King October. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the first Stephen King film that we have revisited in a long time. I think so, too. Um, I was trying to remember. We've we've covered a lot of King, but it, I think it's been a while since we've yeah. done one. So... I'm going to let you go first since you were a little bit more of a fan. I, there's so much there's so much like very specific things I like. Like I love the I love the makeup of the monster. I love Miguel Ferrer's performance in this. It's kind of hard for me to pick something that I really like latched onto or whatever uh, from this movie to put in the museum, but uh, I do think I'm going to put like the kingism like the town sort of aspect and sort of how all these side characters come into play and all of their stories and the stories within the stories feels very king so i'm gonna put like this little tent like this this area of maine in the in the museum i think it's represented really well in this movie oh yeah the character actors in this just make this movie Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like they get these amazing, and I don't really know a lot of these actors. No. I haven't seen them in a ton of stuff. But they get these great character actors to really like bring this town to life, or the towns that they go through. But it's all in the same area. Um, but the towns that they go through, it, yeah, they're they're so fully lived in. These people, uh, I yeah, I feel like I am in these towns around Derry and Maine. <laughs> Yeah, I have a mixed bag with uh, my museum. Like one negative I want to put in is I think you got to show your monster a little bit more. I know it might be tough for the budget uh, because I think you just wait too long and monster fans get kind of bored. So I think that's a problem. But in the second half or in the second part of my positive point of it is the character actors like Miguel Freire and the mechanic, man, they choose scenery well. Yeah. <laughs> I'll watch, I'll watch fucking uh, Miguel Freer be a shitty person in a bar 
all night. You could give me 90 minutes of that, and I'm hooked. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's why this is a minor cold hit. Yeah, I, I do think it has a lot to do with him. I really do. And I'm surprised we didn't get more of him as a side character. I, I don't know. Like, I've never actually looked at his filmography that much, so maybe there is more movies I've seen him in. I just can't remember, but I don't think there is. I feel like also, too, he, like, he still he still was working. He died recently, but he still was, like, working. He just, you know, character actor who's just kind of in stuff. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of credits for a guy that I just can't remember doing any of these. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, but uh, he was in Mr. Magoo. That's the one yes. name where I saw. I was like, huh? It, one I was in heavy rotation with uh, as a kid was Blank Check. He's also the villain in that. But wasn't he in Twin Peaks? Uh, he, he, his Why? face looks like he would be. He's got a face for Twin Peaks. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. FBI agent Albert Rosenfield. Okay, FBI, <laughs> that was it. I thought he was a cop, but FBI is about the same thing. Character actor like that. But uh, I think it was in a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt. So HBO liked him. Yeah, I think so. I And I think sort of maybe my enjoyment of seeing his performances is i had such a familiarity with him i feel like in the night because he was in so much stuff in the 90s i'm looking at this thing now and it's like hot shots part two i watched that movie uh like on heavy rotation uh blank check mr magoo and then he and then he does a lot of voice work later yeah he's well he's got a good voice and if he smoked a lot which i assume he did it's got that gravel yes yeah he he could really command a scene uh, I don't know if he could frontline many Hollywood movies, but man, could he own a scene. That's right. And that's really all you need to create a career. Yeah, right. So, but anyway, remember to be kind. And rewind. <laughs>